Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Let me ask you a question. How many here are car people? Okay, like when you mention the name Ferrari, Lamborghini, Porsche, all that kind of stuff, like, like you get pretty excited about that. I need hands, okay? And that could be women too. Okay, yeah. So just so you know, my wife loves the sporty little sports car, right? That's what she, that's what she likes. And so um, I will just tell you, and this, I'm a little insecure, maybe not manly enough. I've just never been one of those guys. Right, I just, I kind of don't get the NASCAR thing. I see a Porsche, a Lamborghini, a Ferrari or whatever. It kind of just doesn't do anything for me. I don't appreciate it. You know, I just, just not, I just kind of, I just kind of don't get it, right? Until two weeks ago. <laughs> and so I have a great buddy that has recently uh, bought a Ferrari and he drove it up to um, kind of our house. And he said, look, Kyle, you've got to go for a ride. So he came up and he gave Trish a ride first, filled her cup for sure. She loved it. And then, and then we came back and uh, he folded me into the car. Okay, legs, arms, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, as you can imagine, and then we proceeded, high school, junior high kids, college kids, cover your ears. We went a little over the speed limit. Okay, your parents have already decided how fast they're gonna go over the speed limit, so that's done. But high school and junior high, or high school and college kids, speedily need to do the speed limit. But this one time, we kind of just did a little faster than the speed limit. And it was awesome. (laughs) Okay, I got in that thing, and he took off, and it was late, kind of later on a Sunday uh, evening, not not many cars on the highway, and so he hit that thing, and we went from zero to mm mm-hmm, and I don't know how many seconds, right? And I mean, it threw me against the back of that seat and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And so then we drove a little bit and then we took some turns going maybe a little hmm than we should be. And I mean, that car just, I mean, it just settled down and hugged the road. And I mean, it was incredible what happened. And so because of that experience, I now have this new appreciation, right, for uh, those cars, right? It's not like I'm gonna go buy one, okay? But I've got this new appreciation for them and I understand it differently because I was in it, right? And I experienced it. And that's a little bit true for any of us. Think about your thing. Like it may be an educational topic, like it's history, And man, the first time you had a junior high teacher teach you history and she kind of came alive and you're kind of, oh man, I love this subject. So I'm gonna become kind of a history buff. Or maybe it's a musician um, and you found an instrument and you're like, oh, I like this. And the more you study and the more you do the work and the more time you spend in it and around it and you immerse yourself in it, Okay, the more appreciation you have and your your love grows for it. So it works for all of us regardless of what the thing is. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do for us with Jesus. He's trying to get us to believe that Jesus is better, okay? And we have to immerse 
ourselves in that. We have to do the work, we have to study, we need to learn, we need to talk to our friends about how that works. And so we are in Hebrews and the topic is don't drift, draw near because Jesus is better. And when we don't do the work and we don't appreciate it, we miss out on this vibrant life with Christ that he wants us to have. And so before we dive into our passage specifically for today, just wanna remind you that as we just did with uh, our friends that were on stage with us, the audience had a great knowledge of the Old Testament and they were a group of people who were thinking about leaving this newfound Christianity because of persecution or because they just wanted to go back to what was normal, the tradition that they knew. And so the author of Hebrews, they say, hey, let me remind you, Jesus is better, right? And here's why. And if you'll remember in Hebrews chapter one, one through four, we just learned that Jesus was better than the prophets. And then week two, Jesus was better than the angels because of his deity. And then last week, we hit the first warning in the book of Hebrews in two, one through four. And Jeff taught us that, hey, it's dangerous to drift. That's warning number one. There's consequences to drifting away from this Jesus that's better, that's supreme over all things. And the thing that I took away from Jeff's message last week was he used the term kind of a constant recalibration. And he just said, hey, as I'm walking with Jesus and things get familiar, I can start to drift. And so I need to continually be recalibrating my life with Christ. I need to examine, hey, am I drifting here? Am I, is an idol developing here? What's happening? And we have to evaluate and recalibrate what's happening in our lives. Otherwise, we drift. So this relationship we're gonna talk about today is kind of an ongoing thing that we have to continually pay attention to. And so today we're gonna see that Jesus is better, that he's superior, that he's supreme because of his humanity. Because of this thing we call the incarnation. Because of this thing where Jesus took on flesh and blood, that he's better Okay, because of this part or this aspect of his life. And we're gonna look at three sections of scripture today. And the first one's just gonna be, hey, it's the incarnation. In the first section, he paves the way for man's salvation in the first section. In the second section, he tastes death for everyone. And in the third section is that he's, the incarnation just, he allows us to, for him to call us family right, that he's not ashamed to call us family. Now, I need to stop and give a couple of qualifiers here because I'm gonna give the slide guys all kinds of fits today. So if you have your Bible, I would say open that thing up. Okay, if you got your phone, open it up because we are gonna be bouncing and moving because this is a complex passage, okay, and we're gonna get a little granular and we're just gonna study God's word. Okay, for the next 30 or 35 minutes. And so if you've got your Bible or you've got your phone, pull that thing out. We'll do our best to keep up on the slides. But um, I have learned a ton these last two weeks studying this passage, and I hope that's true for you today. So let me pray that what we're about to learn, that we will immerse our minds and our hearts in Jesus, and it will impact how we live. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, living and active 
sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces us. And so, Father, would you do that today? Encourage us if we need to be encouraged. Father, convict us if we need to be convicted. Father, guide us into truth, which is what your spirit does. Would you do that if that's what we need? But would you do a work in our hearts as we open your word today? And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's look at Hebrews chapter two, and we're gonna read the whole, or five through nine A to start. So let's just read at it, then we're gonna come back and we're gonna unpack it. So verse five, for he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking, but one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you're concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. I don't know about you, but I read a section of scripture like that and I am like, what in the world? What, what does that mean? What is the author trying to communicate? And so we have to dive in. We can't just blow past what's happening in this passage. We have to drive in. And anytime there's quotes from the Old Testament, we need to go back and we need to certainly look at the quote, but we also need to look at the context of the quote, the chapter that it's in to get the full meaning of what the author is trying to accomplish. So in verse five, we just see kind of the, that we're, we're still on the angel thing, okay? So before Jeff pulled out for the warning last week, we were talking about Jesus was better because of the angels. Okay, we pulled out for the warning and this week we're still on the angels topic and he says, for he did not subject to angels the world to, the world to come concerning which we are speaking. So he just kind of finishes his thought on angels and he just says, hey, the angels aren't gonna have as significant a role in the future as they currently have. And we know that angels have been really involved, right? They were involved in the giving of the law to Moses at Sinai. We know in Daniel that they have a hierarchy and there's geographical responsibilities. In Ephesians 6, we see that there's a war taking place, Jesus's birth and Jesus's death. We see the angels prominent. But the author is saying here, hey, angels aren't gonna be as prominent from a dominion perspective as, as they have been in the future. And so we're about to tackle a passage, just so you know, that you're gonna have to do some work on. There's a lot of men and women smarter than me that disagree on how to interpret this passage, these next few verses. And so the question is, is the author talking about Jesus and his dominion over everything, or is he talking about mankind's dominion over the earth? Okay, that's the question mark that's happening here. I'm gonna tell you what I think, okay? But I want you to do some work, right? I want you to figure out what you believe as you walk away today. So let's read it again. Verse six, but one has testified somewhere saying, and we're going to Psalm eight right here. What is man that you remember him? or the son of man that you're concerned about him. You have made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him, have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. 
For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. Who's he talking about? Is he talking about Jesus? Or is he talking about man's dominion over the earth? And it's been debated for a lot of years. But I wanna tell you what I think it is. There's a big fairway, okay? And the great thing we're gonna see in a minute, okay? When we get to verse nine, that it tells us at that point that, hey, here's why, this is why this is here. And I'll explain that in just a second. So first of all, it starts with two rhetorical questions, right? And it just says, hey, who, who, who am I, Lord, that you would, you would think about me? God's big and powerful and uh, all-knowing. And, and he starts off the psalmist just by saying, hey, who, who is mankind? But then he shifts. He says, you've made, you've made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. So that could be man or that could be Jesus. I think he's still talking about man right here and have appointed him over the works of your hands and you have put all things in subjection under his feet. Man or Jesus? Tough, right? I read it a lot of times trying to figure out what that was saying. And so what I would tell you is I go back to Psalm 8 and I read the whole chapter and the chapter Psalm 8 is about man's dominion over earth. That's what the chapter is about the whole chapter. Look at this in Psalm 8, 7 and 8. It just says, as he's continuing that quote, it's not in the quote, but it's in Psalm 8. He says, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. So that's the verses right after the quote that's in Hebrews chapter two. And look how it matches with Genesis 1.28. This is when God's giving dominion to Adam and Eve. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on this earth. And so it matches in my mind, I think right here, he's still talking about man's dominion over the earth. Really smart people that write commentaries think that earlier in this passage, it talks about Jesus. It's okay, because here's what's coming. Let's look at Hebrews 2, 8, the second part of verse eight. It says, but now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Okay, I think he's still talking about mankind, other, other people think he's talking about Jesus. Okay, but in your Bible, if you write in your Bible, you wanna put out to the side, you wanna put problem and pivot, okay? Because what happens in these next couple of verses is we identify a problem and then a pivot happens. And as you're studying your Bible, a pivot is whenever there is a major change of thought and that you really need to pay attention whenever there is a pivot. So let's see what we see, but now we do not yet see all things in subject to him. And I think he's talking about mankind. So let me ask you a question. Does our world look chaotic to you? Is our world full of chaos? It is. And so here's what happened, right? God gave man dominion in the garden pre-fall to subdue all of the plant, all the animals and things like that. And what happened? We totally blew it. 
We totally blew what God had intended as a stewardship of what he created and we have totally blown it with our sin. Completely blown that. And so we're left with a world that's got pain and suffering, war, death, decay, conflict, warring ideologies, so, ideology, so many things outside of our control. Some really good friends in this body have miscarried, lost kids at an early age. There's folks in our body that have prodigal kids. Man, things are out of control. And so man has not ruled well and he's mismanaged the dominion that God has stewarded him. So let me just ask you, when I talk about that, what is it that kind of sticks with you? As I talk about, talk about the pain and the suffering and the chaos, what's going on in your world right now that you are like, oh man, my life, my life, the things around me is out of control. For the Keglers, we've got a couple of immediate family members that are battling chronic uh, illness. And we're seeing all kinds of doctors and we're doing all kinds of medicines and we're trying to do all kinds of things and I can't fix it. I just can't, I can't. And it just feels out of control to me. I've got an 87 year old mom who was the greatest mom on the planet for all these years. She was amazing. But these last two or three years, she's slowing down and she's in a lot of pain, even if she just kind of hangs around her house and I can't fix it and I can't control it. And I'm like, this world is out of control. And so what is it for you? When I, when I list my things, what are the things that you're making a mental list of? It's like, hey, this, this world's out of control. So the author is setting that up. Man, man has blown it. Okay, we've, we've mismanaged our dominion. And we talked about the problem. Now let's look at the pivot as we see it. And so the author's basically set us up at this point for the, for, the, for the crowning event in all of human history. The biggest thing that's ever happened in the world, the author is saying, hey, our world is, doesn't look like it's supposed to, but let me tell you, pivot. Hebrews 2, 9, the beginning says, but we do see him, so the, but now we do not yet see all things subject to him, but we do see him capital H. We're now talking about Jesus, no questions asked, okay? We do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. So Jesus, when he took on this thing called humanity, okay, was made a little bit lower than the angels because he took on this humanity. And so this is kind of a fun thing. So in my Bible, in ASB 95, Okay, all of the hymns, the H's on the word him are lowercase until you get to this place. And then it's a capital H. So they have made an interpretive decision that what they think is it's man, 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 verse nine, capital H, him. A lot of our folks use the ESV that are in this room. And the ESV has, low, has lowcase H's all the way through. So it kind of leaves the interpretation up to you for what's happening. It's what translators do. They do their best to interpret the original languages. 
And so what's happening here is the Hebrew author is looking back through what he knows about Jesus' life, death, and ministry, and he's saying, hey, man had dominion, lost dominion, things aren't good, and now Jesus is on the scene. And he is, Colossians 1.15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1.3 says he's the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. In John 14.9, even Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, he has, he says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And so here's what happens. God sends his son, right, to the earth, the biggest event in human history, to take care of all this pain and suffering and out of control and chaos that is happening in and around us. And I don't know about you, but every now and then I'll get asked, hey, how do, how do you explain that? How do you explain that this God of the universe took on flesh and blood. And so I, I used to tell my young life kids, and this analogy falls so short, just like every other analogy does. I just used to say kind of, hey, God came in an earth suit and was limited by the flesh and blood that he took on. But then I would take those kids to Philippians chapter two, five through 11, and I would read that to them. And if you wanna know where to take somebody, it's the best picture we have in all of scripture for how this thing called the incarnation works. Let's read it together. Philippians two, five through 13. Have this attitude in yourselves who was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You wanna know what's going on in Hebrews 2? Philippians. But this author's trying to say, hey, this is who this Jesus is. He is on the same. He's better because he took on this humanity and he came to earth. And so I don't, I don't know what Jesus was feeling when he left the perfect union that he had with the Father, Father and Spirit. I don't know but it's the incarnation he came and he came to a place that was certainly very unlike where he has been or where he had been. And so I wanna ask you a question. How are you doing at incarnational ministry? How are you doing, okay, at leaving your comfort zone, what you're comfortable with, okay, your place, and sacrificing and moving out into places where non-Christian people are and acting as 2 Corinthians 5 would tell us, ambassadors for Christ. See, this is what Jesus is modeling for us. He left that perfect union with the Father and came to earth to die for us. And so how are you doing? And so I would tell you that in my life, my, the time that I lived most incarnationally when I had left the business world after about five years and I jumped on staff with Young Life 
and our, our, our area was in trouble and we had one kid at club. That's the large group event, one large group kid, right? We were there and so our, we were struggling. And so every day or three or four days a week, I would take my car and I would drive up to Lake Islands High School and my wheels would hit the curb and I was scared spitless. You know why? Because I was about to walk into a place where every kid was thinking, who's the guy that's got no friends his own age? Right? I just didn't fit. It wasn't my place, right? But God had sent me as an ambassador to that high school. And so day one, I meet one kid and I write his name down. And I invite him to come to club. And day two, I go back and I make sure I saw that kid because I could remember his name. And the rest of the days I'd meet kids and then I would invite them to come to club, right? Come to the large group event where you get to hear about this Jesus. And I'd invite them to camp. Hey, come, let's go to Colorado for a week where we can, we can flesh out the gospel with each other and all of those kind of, and all of those kind of things. And so I would I had a spreadsheet, right? I would just kept trying, hey, I invited him to club, invited him to camp. He's on the bus, came to Christ, now walking and being discipled in campaigners. And I was trying to move kids by God's grace and by his spirit along that line. And over the course of time, okay, that ministry grew. Kids came to Christ. Families were transformed because kids came to Christ. Okay, and it transformed that school and transformed some of that community. How you doing? at living incarnationally. And you may be doing exactly what you need to be doing with your gifts and your time right now, and that's great. But there may also be an opportunity for you to model what Jesus has done for us was leave that place to go to a place that's uncomfortable. I have folks, I am with believers all the time. I love you, you're great. But I have, to, I have to be intentional to move into places where I'm not hanging around Christians all the time, to be incarnational. And so how are, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with your neighbors? Right? How are you doing with coworkers? It kind of moving into their world, having conversations with them that matter. How are you doing at sharing your story and getting their story? So that it gives you an opportunity to share what God has done in your life. And I think it's one of the points of this passage is that the incarnation paved the way for our salvation, but the application is we have to move out and initiate with people that are far from Christ. The second section of this passage is in nine and 10, and it's the incarnation, he tasted death for everyone. And it says, it says because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom, all, through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Okay, remember the author here is trying to remind the, 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 the Jewish Christians, hey, that Jesus is better, hang in there while you're suffering and don't go back to the old tradition because Jesus is better. But I just read that and it's another one of the what in the world is that saying? So we've got to dive in on that. And so the first thing that we see is that Jesus tastes death for everyone. Basically that his crucifixion, okay, was sufficient for everybody, but only effective for those who 
are in a relationship with him, have trusted the finished work of Christ on the cross. So there's a substitutionary death that all the wrath and the anger of God fell on Jesus at that moment that he was on the cross or those moments on the cross, took what we deserved, our substitute, so that we could move into a right relationship with him. In verse 10, it starts out for, it was fitting for him, capital H. And so that phrase means he's a perfect expression of God's character. It was fitting for him, right? It was appropriate. It was right. It was on plan for Jesus to die for you because he loves you and because he wants a deep relationship with you. See, Jesus was the perfect expression to carry out the plan that God had for his people. So Jesus becomes a human being. He suffers and he dies in our place. He rises from the dead victorious. He enters into glory. Why? So that he could lead many sons to glory. See, he did this for you. This incarnation, this move to the cross, he did for you. And in that passage, you also see just a reminder what the Hebrew author is trying to do. It's a reminder, hey, this is the supreme Jesus, right? All the verses we read in Hebrews 1 and Colossians chapter 1 as well. Don't forget, this is who Jesus is. And then at the end of verse 10, he says, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. That's another one of those. What in the world does that mean? And so we got to go do some homework, we gotta ask, what do these words mean? What is the author trying to communicate to the Hebrew Christians? And then what does it mean for us? And so to perfect something means to carry out the plan for which it was originally intended. So what we're seeing is Jesus is doing exactly what God has planned for him to do. And then we get to this word in my Bible, NASB 95, it says author is what mine says. Take a look and see what yours says because by hunch, we're gonna be all over the place. Okay, and this is what happens when translators translate words from the original language. So look at this slide that we've got. So mine says my says author. The NASB before it was kind of re kind of updated was originator. Okay, ESV says founder. The NIV and the Net say pioneer. Holman says source, and the King James New King James Version says captain. What's the deal? is that there's no one way, perfect way to translate that word and what that means. So my suggestion as somebody who's reading your scripture is to use all of them. Every one of those words gives us a different picture of who Jesus is, what he is doing. And so the, the translators may not agree on terms, but they do agree on the concept that Jesus was on the scene and he was pioneering and he was trailblazing and something big was happening. See, God was charting a course, a salvation course for all of mankind. And he played that role of author and founder and originator and trailblazer. And that verse moves on to talk about suffering and so the thing we need to do there is that Jesus was perfected, it says, through his suffering. And what, what, does, that, what does that mean? And so I wanna read to you, it just says that God's love for us had to show itself in sacrificial suffering and God could not sacrifice unless he added humanity to his deity 
and suffered on our behalf. So he's saying this plan could not happen, the redemption of mankind apart from Jesus putting on humanity and suffering. So he was a pioneer. He was leading his way on this earth to take many sons to glory, modeling for us what we're gonna have to do. We're gonna have to go through this pain and chaos of this earth as we move on to glory as well. So Jesus' life is life and death for us is the ultimate illustration of the fact that real love and real giving involve sacrifice. I talked about incarnational living and it involves sacrifice. So let's just stop for a second and say, husbands, how are you doing at sacrificial serving of your bride? How are you doing at sacrificing for her? And I would ask the women the same question, how are you doing at serving and sacrificing for your husbands, denying yourself so that you can love and serve people that you care about? How about serving your extended family, your neighbors, your coworkers, and inconveniencing yourself so that you can be an ambassador for Christ? And so in the incarnation, part one, Jesus paved the way for our salvation. And part two, the incarnation, basically Jesus tasted death for everyone. And then the third part here in Hebrews 2, 11 through 13, he's not ashamed to call us family. Let's read it. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying... Quoting Psalm 22, I will proclaim your name to my brethren and in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And in Isaiah 8, 17 and 18, he says, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Again, what in the world is the author trying to say? And he's, what he's trying to say at first is, hey, if you're part of somebody who's sanctified, Right, that means being set apart for God's purposes. If you're in a journey with Jesus, you're in the process of being sanctified. Right now, he, so he is just saying, hey, if you're sanctified, if you're on that journey, you're part of God's family. And then he goes on to say that Jesus will not be ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. It's that we are part of a family of God if we're in that sanctified group, the folks that are moving and growing in their relationship with Christ. And then he pulls out two what seem like random, okay, Old Testament passages. Psalm 22 is David, and it's called the Psalm of the Cross. It's a Psalm where Jesus quotes on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's where Jesus gets that when he's on the cross. And that Psalm goes from lament to praise. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter eight, and Isaiah chapter eight is a, is a quote whenever Isaiah was about to face the, the Assyrian assault. He had been speaking to the people of Israel for years with absolutely nobody paying attention. So he's in trouble, okay? And he goes, in spite of being in trouble, I am gonna trust the Lord and I'm gonna take my people with me. Behold, I and the children whom God has given me. So both of these quotes include the family of God that is around them in their trust and their praise in the midst of hard situations. So what's the principle here? 
Jesus stands ready to support the family of God who take refuge in him. That's what the author is saying. In the midst of hard times, Jesus is ready for you. If you've lost a child, if you've got a prodigal kid, if you're in pain, Jesus is with you. And it may not feel like it at the times. It may not even look like it. And so we walk by faith at times, not by sight. And we have to walk by faith in those times. And so if we're in a relationship with Jesus, we are from the same father, the the passage says. Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters and his children. He's united with us and we're united with him. It's this thing called abiding that we see in John 13, 14, 15. He'll support us in our troubles and we are family living this life together in a relationship with Jesus. That's what we're doing. So Friday night, we had a worship night here and it was great. If you missed it, come to the next one because it was awesome. And in the midst of that, I got a chance to do communion where we didn't rush it. We had plenty of time to kind of examine our lives and remember what Jesus had done. And so after the service was over, there was a guy that came up and just said, hey, I'd love to talk to you. And I said, hey, tell me your name. And, and we talked for a while and had a conversation. I just said, hey, have you ever initiated or started a relationship with Christ? And he goes, well, I didn't take communion. And I'm like, hey, let's talk about that. And so we got to sit down and you can say that the spirit of, you could see that the spirit of God was drawing him into his family. And so we sat down and we opened our Bibles and we went through kind of Bible study 101 for what does it mean to be saved and to share the gospel. And I'm always careful. I don't wanna use those situations to manipulate or coerce anything. I want it to be God's plan or else it's just not, not valuable. But at the end of that conversation, I just asked, hey, do you want to start a relationship with Christ tonight? And he said, yes, I wanna do that. So myself and my friend and a friend that had brought him sat down and we prayed. And this guy decided to put a stake in the ground and say, hey, I'm gonna trust and trust my life to Jesus Christ who is gonna care for me. And so as we sat there, I got a chance to tell him what's new, okay, about his life after he has become a believer. And there's five things that I reminded him of or told him about that happened when you become a Christian. And for us that have been walking with Christ for a while, these are just great reminders of what we do. So the first thing he has, my friend, he has a new pioneer, right? He's got a new person that is calling the shots in his life. And the great thing is this person is in control of all things. He holds all things together and he knows what's best for my friend. He's got a new pioneer. He's got a new foundation. See, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he now knows that he can live by truth, which doesn't shift whenever the storms of life come. He builds his house on a rock so that it doesn't get blown down by the circumstances of life. He knows that he's got a new foundation. He's got a new hope. We got a chance just to talk about, hey, being a believer is great while you're living on earth. You have a chance to walk in the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the thing that God gives you the power to live in. But, it, but, but this place is out of control. It's chaotic. But let me tell you where it, Jesus is leading you to. He's leading you to glory so that you can live forever in a place where there's no suffering, there's no pain, there's no chaos. And the things that happened on this earth are redeemed as part of God's plan. 
I reminded him that he had a new power now. He had a new power to overcome sin in his life and to overcome the enemy, to overcome Satan. The greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, the scripture says. But there's a new power in his life. And then I reminded him that he now had a new family. And we just talked about the body of Christ and that church and community is a place where we get to practice the one another's. We have laboratories called community groups here, right? And I know community's hard. Let me ask you a question. Anybody got a crazy uncle in their family? Yeah, right? Everybody's got a crazy something. Family can be hard, right? I've said this before. John Ortberg wrote a great book. Everybody's normal till you get to know them, right? Is what he said. And so community's hard, but it's the laboratory where we grow, okay, our life with Christ and we build, we build deep faith roots that help us walk with him. And so as we become believers, we get a new family. And so here's the reminder from Hebrews for today is don't drift, draw near. Jesus is better because of the incarnation, because he took on human flesh. And remember, I immersed myself in that Ferrari, right? Went for a ride and I've got this new deeper appreciation. Understand it better, right? It's the same with Jesus. And we've got to immerse ourselves in a relationship with him. We have to make time to spend time with him. We have to make time to talk about him with other people so that our relationship grows and we deepen. Don't drift, draw near. Jesus is better because of the incarnation. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.